If you have not become a patron of the Geocache Talk Network, what are you waiting for? Patron levels start as low as a bison tube level at $3 a month. The sign-up is easy. Simply go to the Geocache Talk website and click on the Become a Patron button or go to patreon.com forward slash geocache talk. Patrons now get the famous blackout coin, invites to special events, and other really great items throughout the year. Become a patron today. Logwork, the creators of the fantastic logbook made with genuine right-in-the-rain paper, the logbook's designed for the micro containers of the present and future, geared towards the hider who'd rather go caching than doing cash maintenance. Find them at logwork.com. That's L-O-G-W-E-R-K.com. Have you subscribed to FTF Magazine yet? FTF Magazine is the number one geocaching magazine available. It is a quarterly magazine that you can be part of. Submit your geocaching milestones and adventures to be published. FTF Magazine is also interactive with puzzles to solve and the hunt to find Spartacus. If you can solve the puzzle or find Spartacus, then you will be entered in to win a special path tag. Every new subscription, you will receive a special swag pack. Subscribing is easy. Just visit FTF's website, ftfgeo.com. Don't miss out and subscribe today. Hello, everybody out there. Uh, this is, Welcome to Gadget Talk. Um, as you can see, my uh, co-host today is not Derek. Unfortunately, Derek had some other things come up. But yeah. I have the next best thing here is Shannon, um, known as Shandrum. Uh, yeah. He did the Vertical Madness, right? Cash out in Memphis? Yeah, the big climbing cash out there that was super popular. It, yeah, uh, and I think most people know you from, uh, if they were at, uh, cash fest this last year from the gadget build off. Yep, we were part of the uh, the middle team, team all stars. Built uh, an award winning birdhouse. Yeah, and I think that's kind of how um, you and Derek kind of came. Or the thought behind this podcast about mechanisms is the mechanism you built for that birdhouse was really cool. Yeah, um, out of the out of the three, uh, I'm not sure who all saw or was there or saw the video. But out of the three birdhouses that were built, um, ours had no electronics, no batteries. It was purely a mechanical, simple mechanism, as the title of today's podcast talks about. Uh, it just yeah. used gravity and magnets and uh, easy stuff to maintain. I agree. Simple is is uh, is better sometimes. You know, all the fancy yeah. electronics and Arduinos and lights and buttons. Um, I've said this many times on the show. I get more favorite points from my basic caches that have no electronics, nothing, yep. just the basic ones that I have than I do with the ones that I've spent thousand dollar on thousands of dollars or a thousand dollar on it. And you know, it's really cool, but I get more favorites from just your basic caches. Yeah, for sure. As you and I talked about before the show, it uh, you know, I spent I spent several years building escape room puzzles, and um, we have found that that most people enjoy a good combination of, of technology and uh, simple mechanisms, you know, things that are more hands-on. Um, they enjoy that more than just the super high-tech stuff. You know, something they can, they can push a button or put a key in or that dexterity feel, put their hands on it. And um, I think people really enjoy that where, where an action gets a result rather than trying to figure out some complicated electronic puzzle. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, when we were talking, I like I'm a handsy, touchy type of person to solve puzzles. Yeah. So when you get some of these fancy things where you don't have that, you know, I would almost rather try and play with something and mess around with it to figure it out than to actually have to figure out a puzzle, a physical or a, a 
puzzle in your head that you have to then answer on a keyboard or anything like that. Right. That's cool. Yeah. It looks like a lot of people are tuning in. Hey, who is that? <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm using some executive uh, privilege. I have a question for you. Okay. You, you built... Uh, you built Jester's Revenge, right? Or you were part of that? I was I was part of a, a rebuild, and uh, I maintained it for three years. So okay. I know everything about it. For everybody, sorry, I didn't hijack. No, I should have mentioned what it was in case they weren't there. Yeah. Jester's Revenge was one of the ones in Memphis, one of the escape rooms. But um, we had such a ball doing that because that's exactly, um, Chad, if you ever get a chance to do that one, um, you guys did the real high tech Jurassic Park one, but yeah. the the ones that there were several cool parts of that one that was low tech. So yep. we were we had a heck of a time, and I can I see, I could see where you could make this into a a gadget cache on a micro level, but we were trying to put a ball into a hole that you can't get to. Yep. And if you miss, the ball would roll back down to you. So anyway, um, I thought about you while we were doing that, going, dang it, it was Shannon set that thing up or something because it was it was fun, but we were like, somebody hit the putt. We're gonna get this thing going. <laughs> yeah, we, we just got that idea. A lot of the games in that room are based off of of carnival style games. Yeah. And so that that particular puzzle was based off of um just a putt putt you know, a mini golf type scenario where you just have some kind of a tricky little path that you have to get the ball down and into a hole. And yeah. uh, there is a bit of high tech in that puzzle though, is because once the ball goes in the hole, it electronically triggers oh. the next thing to open or activate. Oh, right. So, and that that's done. Um, it goes into a series of PVC pipes underneath the carpet. Oh, wow. And it funnels the ball to a certain area that has a proximity sensor and when um, it's little, it's a little infrared sensor that, that when the infrared signal is broken, right. Here's the next thing. And the only thing that'll break, it's the ball coming by. Correct. So the ball, the ball sits in the field and breaks the, breaks the, the infrared signal. Yeah. Um, so that's what activates the next thing in that room. Oh, wow, man. That, we need a gestures revenge gadget cache. Yeah. Show, but all right, I'll let y'all do your thing. Sorry. Cool. I have fun. No worries. Bye, y'all. Yeah. So uh, Gary's here just in case I mess up. You can jump in and uh, in case I drop off or something. So Derek's normally the producer, so uh, I'm not used to running, driving everything here. Um, so I appreciate it, Gary. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, that Jurassic Park one that we did, there was actually a couple things on there that I that I, I saw um, – that I actually almost made into uh, part of a puzzle for this event last week in Vegas. Um, but I won't mention it because I might actually make something like it later on here in the show cool. uh, on the podcast. But uh, that was a super cool uh, room to do. And so it's, it's actually really fun for me to talk to and interesting to, to talk to someone who actually created these escape rooms. Cause I do a lot of escape rooms, but you never yep. get to talk to the people behind the scenes. Yeah, so so that Jurassic Project room is um, is becoming just about world famous. We have there's people that travel from all over to come play that room, 
and it's and it's noted as one of the most immersive, amazing rooms that that many frequent escape room players play all these different rooms and, and they play Jurassic project and it just stands out as an amazing room. So it would be super cool to see some of that kind of transferred into some caches. Yeah, that'd be cool. And, and talking to you about this, it's almost the same way with the escape rooms when we're talking about simpler is better when it comes to certain yep. things on a lot of yours, you were just using relays and, and switches and not these high tech Arduinos or raspberry Pis systems to control them. There's, there are four computers that run that room, really big, high-speed high, high speed computers. Um, there's a lot that is high-tech in that room, but the individual puzzles, the, the things that you play that triggers the next thing or triggers the computer to move in the sequence are mostly pretty basic stuff. Pretty basic stuff. That's great. Yeah, less, uh, you know, electronics, uh, you know, we're when you have electronics and buttons and batteries and uh, LEDs and all this stuff in your cache, if it's not sealed correctly or weatherproof correctly, um, you can have issues with it. And, you know, it's, it's maintenance. Cause even if you do have it sealed correctly, you still have to replace buttons wear out, you know, batteries go dead. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, LEDs burn out or you have issues with wire corroding. So at some point with all these higher tech ones, you have to go back and maintain them versus a pretty basic mechanism uh, could last for years and years and years without having to touch it. Right. I mean, ultimately um, you're trying to make a great experience for the user for the, for the cashier that finds that box, you want it to be a great experience for them. So you have to make it where it's interesting and fun, but you have to make it also fun and enjoyable for the owner or the, uh, the person that maintains it as well i just <laughs> so hey, um, <laughs> uh, that just remind me i probably should silence my cell phone that usually happens to me uh usually yeah, it's a capture call me off so um uh pizza ninja here was saying that uh i wish i could have seen behind the scenes video of how the escape rooms were made those are so cool yeah, there's a lot of trade secrets there. Um, we even have other escape room owners and other escape room builders that come play our rooms, and they're like, hey, man, we want to see how you did it. Um, but there's there are things that that escape room company does. Um, they they just try to keep it a secret. They've, they've developed a lot of their own um, techniques, and the way that they use relays is is kind of proprietary in a lot of the, the setup and the, the functionality. And um, we have a guy that, that works for the company who's a programmer and any of the things that are run off computer, he, um, he does all of his own coding and he writes everything from scratch. So it's, it's just kind of a unique, just a unique build. Yeah. And I imagine something when you're coming up, just like when you're coming up with the cash and you're, you're kind of coming up with the escape room is you kind of want to know how long you want the experience to be, right? Cause you got to think about, all these things that's going on. Of course, I guess in the escape room, you're timed, but you still don't want to make a puzzle so impossible. It's going to take up most of their time to do. Right. Right. So we, we did it long enough to know that, you know, an hour is the limit. And so each, each puzzle is sort of designed to take up a certain amount of time. And you just have to do some math and some mapping out of, 
of the process so that an average person can solve it. The idea is we, you want them to solve it, just like if you put out a gadget cache. I mean, you want people to solve it and to get in and be able to sign the log. You're not trying to make it so difficult to where you just get a bunch of DNFs because people can't can't get through it. Or someone destroying, trying to take it apart just to get to the logbook. That's the other thing. Those people will do that. A newer cacher, if someone finds it that, you know, a muggle, um, they're going to get in that box one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, I had someone uh, that uh, actually this weekend, uh, today, uh, we're at the airport waiting uh, to fly home. Uh, someone texted me for one of my caches. And I think eight feet up on the wall is a, I have a box that keeps a battery in it. Yep. That you have to use a ladder to get to with a bolt. And he was up there trying to un unbolt that. But luckily oh, I have man. a security screw on it. But I'm like, no, it's not going to be anywhere. You don't have to climb to get it. It's not even in the, it's not even close to what the description has. So, but uh, yeah, you got to make sure you keep them so that people can't get into them or make them easy enough that they don't get frustrated. And that one's probably one of my harder ones. Yeah. Looks like Adi Olson is asking if, uh, that's a hypershock tire in the background. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, um, I was in Vegas all week uh, for a big scavenger hunt event. Uh, and so, of course, while you're in Vegas, you got to go to BattleBots. Um, so we went and did BattleBots. And um, this is uh, this is one of the torn up tires from Witch Doctor uh, on hypershock. So it was kind of cool to come back with a souvenir. From the BattleBots, so I would definitely recommend it if you go to Vegas. Go to, go to BattleBots. I thought that'd be, I thought that'd be pretty cool in the podcast room, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, I know on the podcast we mentioned talking about mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a system of parts working together, is what a mechanism is. Yep. And we were talking about high tech, low tech. You know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. On that, and we're going to go over a little bit about mechanisms we didn't bring. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to make any samples or build anything. Sure, any so we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have Shannon back uh, late on another podcast to actually show us how he did a few things. Maybe the one you did in the birdhouse, something simple mm -hmm. um, that anybody can build out there. So, but we'll talk about a few things. Um, on the mechanisms, and then we're kind of just going to talk about caches and you know how you come up with ideas, how hard to make them, all that. Yeah. Um, so, and and that was one thing that in I just got back from in Vegas was uh, making them for for the scavenger hunt. There, they're non geocachers, right? It's it's for right. the casinos. Um, <clears throat> is how. <clears throat> Because it's 105 degrees outside. Right. How long do you want the people out in the sun? You right. know, how long do you want the experience to be? There are 700 people finding these. So right. you they can't, they, they got to go through it pretty quick. And so that's one of the tough things when you're building a cache on how long does it take? And for me to judge that, it's kind of tough because when I built it, it's easier for me to, to figure out. So then I have to take it to some friend's house or whatever and have them try and figure it out. Do some so, beta testing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then make sure everything works. And so that's something to think about when you are building your cache. Where is it going to be the location? Is it going to be undercover? Um, you know, how are you going to mount it to something? Um, there's all kinds of stuff to think about before you even start with the mechanism or what you're going to put in the cache. Mm -hmm. um, something that I like to do is make sure it blends in. You know, if it's going to be on a wall next to 
no conduit? Do I put a, is it part of a conduit to find the puzzle? Is it, you know, an electrical box, anything like that? Um, the ones that I did, some of them I did for Vegas was um, going on telephone poles and they just wanted wooden birdhouses is what they told me. Yeah. Uh, I don't build birdhouses typically. Um, but how do we, how do we attach them? Right. Cause we don't own the birdhouses or not the birdhouses, but the, uh, telephone poles or property of whatever company owns it, power company. Um, so I wanted to put straps around, uh, you know, around the pool. Uh, so what I came up with, and I'll just show, I, I brought one out, um, was this is one of the ones that we used. I ended up just routering in slots here and we wrapped straps from the inside around the pool back on the inside and we we tightened it up on the inside so you couldn't see the mechanism to take it off yeah that's cool uh and there's two slots for them so um that worked really well uh, and then it does have a mechanism but a 12 volt latch that opens it when you complete the puzzle but nice that was a that was an interesting one to figure out the puzzle too because the puzzle they had was uh some people Figured it out in like 30 seconds. Yep. And some people were there for 45 minutes. Yep. So it was it was very interesting. Uh you know, trying everybody's, to figure it out. And I don't know his brain works different. Yeah, absolutely. If if absolutely. you have more of a methodical kind of a, a brain that is is very logical and, and you look at all the details and you build a cache and someone finds it who is who doesn't have that exact mindset or that strength, maybe they're going to spend a long time trying to figure it out. Um, where if somebody has the same, the same skill set that you do, they might figure it out quickly. We definitely found that out in the escape room world is we'd have people that would come in and, and they couldn't figure it out. And it would take a, a ton of hints to get them through a puzzle. Uh, and then the next player come through and just, you know, zip, zip, zip and bang right through it. And it, it was easy. So that's always a challenge is finding something that fits multiple people's skill set and personality yeah it is and uh, i obviously part of me being there is i go around to all the caches and make sure they're working but there's yep. no issues uh and something i had to learn real quick it's not a geocaching event so you can't give out any hints these are these are big time gamblers and first place place prize for finding them is like twenty thousand dollars oh wow so you can't you can't give any kind of hints or do anything Man. To, and that was the hardest thing for me to help not help people out. But uh, it was fun. It was a blast to go do. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. yeah um, geocaching would be different if we had cash prizes for finding puzzles. Oh, I yeah. It, they got super competitive. <laughs> it, it was uh, it, it was it was fun. Yeah. Way different than geocachers. That's neat. That's neat. Yeah, yeah it was cool. Uh, so, um, so we, we, we can talk through, I'm not, I'm not, I think you guys showed some pictures or videos of the, of the birdhouse that our team built, um, last time. Yeah. Let's see if they're on here. I think I emailed those right to Derek, but I can actually, I believe I'm on my phone, so I can pull them up here. If you want to yeah, talk about, maybe if you want to talk about what you look for and how you keep caches dry when you're making them. So, so, uh, the easiest thing to do is, is to try to mount the cache in a place where it's not exposed to as much weather. Um, you know, the sunlight uh, UV rays can destroy a coating and can destroy wood. 
Um, obviously rain and moisture can, can affect what you build. So if there's a place that you can put your cash where it's protected under a cover, um, or, or maybe even build, um, some sort of a structure with a, a big cover over it, if you have the space to do it to where your the actual cash, the working part of your cash is protected, that would be, um, better for the long run. But if, if it's going to be exposed to the weather, then you certainly need to think about using um, paint or coatings or something that's going to completely weatherproof that wood. And just like on your house or any other thing that you paint or caulk or anything, it just requires a lot of upkeep and maintenance. The wood swells, the wood shrinks. So anything that you do, whether it's moving or, you know, there's a pin lock or something, it has to be... Um, it has to be durable in that condition where, where the, where the cash is going to change. You're still digging. Yes. I found it. I'm sending it right now. Sorry. Awesome. Awesome. So the, the birdhouse, the, the, uh, the birdhouse that we made, you know, and again, this, it wasn't necessarily made to just go right out in the wild. We just had a short amount of time. Uh, and a limited amount of resources to come up with with a, a competitive you know, situation to build a cache like that. So that that cache had, uh, you know, the, the wood wasn't weatherproof and we built it to work in, in a room that was climate controlled. So when that cache goes out, it'll certainly need some some touch ups and some some weatherproofing to make it durable out in the wild. Um, I see that Diana is asking what kind of protecting. So again, just think about your house. You know, your house is built with wood that is not necessarily weather resistant, but you, you prime it and you paint it so that water doesn't get in the wood. And then any of the gaps where two pieces of wood go together, you're going to want to caulk those joints and, and make sure that it's, it's very, very weatherproof. After you build your cache, if you'd be nervous to spray it down with a water hose and it's going to be installed outside, then it's probably not weatherproof enough. So always think about the worst case scenario or overdoing it. Um, so Dire Wolf is asking about putting vinyl siding on a birdhouse cache. You could, um, if it were sealed up and installed properly, that would be a great protector to keep water off of the wood. Um, as long as, again, it's the where the openings where, where parts move, all of the insides and all of the edges, all of that would have to be protected in the same way. Okay, so this is the one, you, the one that you made. Yep. So if you want to talk a little bit, so we kind of went over this, uh, Derek and myself, uh, last episode i believe it was last show we hit were on um you had to find the correct numbers on there that were with uv light and then it opened and unfortunately this is the only photos i have of that cache that you made there's, there's numbers all over it um and again so to weatherproof that cache it would need some sort of a of an epoxy or a heavy clear coating that would protect the wood and the stickers. Um, on the bottom of that birdhouse cache, there was there was more stickers and more numbers, 
and those were highlighted with UV ink that um, in your investigative stage of, of looking around those, those uh, numbers, you would have gotten a clue, by the way, and that you needed a UV light to do this, this cache. And uh, so those numbers on the bottom would give, would give you a set of numbers to open up the initial lock, which opened up the front door. I know you don't, you don't see any hinges. It doesn't appear that it opens, but that, that door was built on a, a slide mechanism. So when you, when you open up the lock, the, the front door would just slide down, revealing another compartment inside. Uh, again, it's a simple mechanism. It's, it's, there's no moving parts. There's no hinges. It's just a piece of wood sliding in a channel. Um, so that made it a lot easier to maintain long-term. Um, there's nothing that, uh, that would break in the regards of a, of a, of a hinge or a, a mechanical piece to speak of. Um, Diana is asking if, if there's anything that you can spray over a finished painted cache because she already painted it. So there's a variety of finishes out there, uh, different varnishes and different clear coatings. You just have to be really careful. If you painted it with a water-based paint, then um, then use a clear coating protector, like a water-based polyurethane, water to water. If you use an oil-based clear coating, a varnish or a heavy shellac, and you're doing it over a water-based paint, you could damage the finish. For sure. So that's yeah. one, one thing that you could do to that cash. Yep. I would, I would definitely recommend it. I have some actually sprays over here, um, but you got to also make sure it's good for exterior. You can get some with UV protectant on it as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff you can get. And I'm sure you can go to a home, one of the big box stores. They have all kinds sure. of stuff. Um, yep. And a lot of that, if you paint it on the side, you do some uh, smaller co co uh, coats. Even if you don't spray it, you paint it. Usually the the uh, paint lines, the brush lines will level out mostly. Right. It depends on how thick the material is and, and how thick you're putting it on. Yep. There's also a um, some liquid rubber spray um, that's clear. So it's, it's not it's not super clear like glass. It's a little bit opaque, but you can definitely see through it. And so it puts a pretty durable rubberized finish on something that would be waterproof. And then you could also still see through it. And kind of give it a cool, cool, bumpy texture. Oh, that's cool. Huh. Yep. Does that rubber? Does it? Have you seen any cracking from shrink expansion and traction in the heat? Um, not really. Again, but it's something that you have to maintain. It's not a spray it once and then you're done forever. Mm -hmm. Um, they definitely have to be maintained. Um, but what's what's the company? My my mind is blank right now. They sell that liquid spray. I know what you're talking about. They sell it for roofs, supposedly, and flashing. Yeah. Is that the one? They, they show the uh, somebody, somebody comment if, if you know what it's called. It's in a can. Yeah. You spray it on. It's um, it's a rubber coating um, that you can apply to things. I'm trying to think of what it is. I can't. I can't remember the name of it. I think I even have some. Flex Seal. There it is. Yeah. There you go. Flex. I just pulled. I just googled it. Yeah. So um, Flex Seal is available in clear. So you can use that to seal up some stuff too. It works pretty well. Yep. And you can get it. It looks like it's about 15 bucks at Lowe's. Yep. So and you can get it in a spray can or you can get it in a, in a brush on can. Yeah. Um, but you just have to be really careful. Like if you have a, if you have a box that has a door that opens, 
um, you would want a flex seal. You'd want to build it with enough tolerance so that if you add some add some sealant to it and it and it's makes the dimension a little bit bigger that it's still going to work. Uh, and yeah. So don't spray it in the closed position and let it dry because then it's not going to um, it's not going to open. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's one more thing to think about, right? Is, is weather. I was talking to you beforehand about the weather and expansion attraction. So when you build something with cedar, yep. it's going to swell when it gets wet. That's right. Um, and so you got to think about the tolerances around doors and, you know, hinge everything. Uh, what's going to happen. Same with heat. Um, so when I built these, you know, everything, when it heats up, expands. And so when I built these, I actually, ha I actually had to make sure the doors down here had enough of a, a break in them or a, a seal in, or a crack in them that when these, when the acrylic expands, it doesn't swell shut or uh, wedge it shut. Um, the other thing I had to do on this just to test it was I kept heating up the hinges. So this is acrylic down here. Yep. Um, I had to I heated up all the acrylic in the hinges to make sure this sits in here. If you see how I make my birdhouses, everything slides together. Um, yep. I needed to make sure that the acrylic didn't expand and the hinge pop off because it's glued on. Right. And the glue technically melts the plastic together. Correct. But I I'm nervous that it could pop the hinge off, but I heated that up with a heat gun for a long time and never had an issue. So stuff to think about when you're building a cache. Right. Otherwise you'll get people that just want to get into them with a screwdriver or. And they will, man. It doesn't matter how, how well you put in your description to, to, you know, that extra tools aren't needed and don't be rough with it. And man, people are just, they're, they're people. Yeah. And they will, <laughs> they will break your stuff. Yep. They, they will. I, uh, we, we got on 40 minutes before the show when we were talking. So like I said earlier to, to Shannon, uh, I have four cameras on four of my caches mm -hmm. I have cameras on four of my caches that when someone goes up to them, it lets me know that there's someone there and I'll watch them. And on one of them, I've seen the puzzle is fairly difficult. And I've seen people try and bypass the puzzle and I just have to go on the camera and with the, you know, the camera you can talk through, tell them, nope, you need to find the puzzle the right way or you got to find the cache or yep. no cheating. And uh, they get really surprised. And only once I've had someone shut it up and leave. And I think he was just embarrassed <laughs> that he got caught. So, <laughs> but uh, so far having the ones with the cameras on them has been very helpful, but you will find people that will, just don't have time to complete your puzzle or in a hurry or want a quick parking grab or whatever. That's right. And they'll just get into it no matter what. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've literally seen people that they, they see the difficulty rating is really high. Um, if they take the time to read the description, it talks about that there's some process to, to complete this cache. Uh, and then they get upset when they get there and they can't just pop it right open and get into it. Yeah, and, um, I've gotten comments about it's, it's unfair. It's, you know, my kid's four years old and if they can't do it, then it shouldn't be out here. And oh, my goodness, it's, I've gotten some crazy comments on um, some of my technical caches. You don't have to find every cache. If you don't want to find a puzzle cache or a gadget cache, it's too hard. You don't have to find it. It doesn't say anything in the rules that you have to be able to find every cache. That's right. Otherwise, you'll get people that don't scuba dive. They can't find a scuba diving cache or, yep. you know, whatever. Don't mountain climb or rock climb. Yep. 
I had I had an interesting story about um, on vertical madness. You know, that's that's a that's a, a five difficulty cache because it requires climbing gear, and it's very well stated in the description that it it's eighty feet in the air and it requires climbing gear. Um, and I have people all the time that will walk up to the base of the tree and look up and, and see the ammo can. And then they say that I found it, you know, they'll check off, found it and not, um, not actually sign the log, but then get upset and get offended when you challenge them or, or go to delete the log. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. People are people sparky. Yes, they are. Yep. Yeah, well, well, they found it, right? They just didn't sign a logbook. I see it yeah. way up there. I found it, right? Yep, they found it, but they didn't, <laughs> they didn't uh, sign the logbook. And it, and it says even in my description that in order to claim a find, that you have to complete it. You have to, you have to go the distance. You know, you have to complete the cache. I believe that's the rule on geocaching. You have to, you have hey, to sign the log. It is. Yes, it is. So I'm excited that cash is back up and running. It was, it was down um, when Cash Fest was here um, a couple of months ago, and I had a lot of people that contacted me that wanted to do it, and we weren't able to because the park that it's in sustained some major wind damage, and it was closed because of hazards. Um, I thought I was going to have to archive that cash, but um, it's still up and it's still active, and it is ready to go again. If anyone is in the you know, within 2000 miles or so of Memphis and they want to give it a, give a swing by and give it a try. I'd be happy to host them and I'd be happy to get them up that tree. Nice. Yeah. So Eleanor survived the storms, huh? Eleanor survived the, the two trees that surround her did not. Um, the landscape is, is quite a bit different. Um, but Eleanor survived the storm. Nice. So Eleanor next, next year, if people are on their way to cash fest, uh, in Oklahoma, they could actually maybe book a time with you to find Eleanor or find the cache. Yeah, Eleanor is the name of the um, of the tree. Yeah, that the cache resides in. Um, yeah, Pizza Ninja says that I spy and geocaching are two different games. That's for sure. <laughs> Just because you see it, it doesn't mean that you accomplished it. And it, and uh, Jeff, you're. Um, he was at, uh, I think he found it last year at Cash Fest. He, he was at, at the first Cash Fest and uh, last year, and he did a full, he did a full uh, video format. He recorded everything. In fact, I had my drone up for a while, and he had his drone up, and we were dueling, we were battle botting our drones for a little bit, and um, so it looks like that that's going to be his next long form video. So pay attention if you don't follow Cash the Line. Um, you need to subscribe to his channel. It's awesome. He's got some great stuff. Um, cash the line. So his next video looks like it's going to be a full coverage of that cash. The, oh, that's the, cool. Yeah. I'll look for it. Yep. I'll look for it. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me here. Sorry. I had something on my throat. Um, you know, I'm going to have to, I have some of that flex seal, I think outside. But it's black. I have to get some of that clear flex still at some point. Yep. I'll have to test that out over a cache and see how it turns out. Yeah. I also have the plastic dip stuff. Plastic dip is good. Um, plastic dip was designed to, to make a durable 
flexible coating, but it was also designed to, to peel it off easy mm-hmm. when you were tired of it. So you have to be careful where you put it. Um, they also have that plastic dip type stuff for rims. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's that's sort of how that was designed. What it was designed for is you could paint your rims and yeah. make them hot pink. Um, I think I think Chad, your rims are hot pink on your car. Yeah. Um, when you get tired of hot pink, you just peel it off and then paint them a different color. I so, actually have some of that rim paint stuff. Yep. In black, not on my cars, but uh, someone gave me like four cans of it at one point, and so I haven't used it yet, but someday. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You just have to be careful with that coating, is it is it is durable in itself, but it doesn't have, um, at least in my experience, it doesn't adhere to its surface super permanently because it was designed to be peeled off. Yeah. Um, looks like here, uh, is it Lokston or Lostkin? Lostkin. Yeah, I had one log recently that that was easy. Is what they logged. They broke my cache. The only ones there since the last time I checked it. Yeah. Fixed it the day after their log. So, yeah, it was easy to break into. Yep. Everything would be easy if you could break it. Sure. If you use a hammer, it's easy. Yeah. So it, looks, it looks like Pizza Ninja is asking a question about a Krylon spray. Um, I'm assuming he's talking about a rattle can, um, like spray paint. Yeah, clear coat, I think, is what he's thinking if he's um, talking about sealing. Krylon is a brand. They make they make you know colored um, colored paints, and they do make I think a couple of different varieties of of clear coat. So if if you use a Krylon spray paint to 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 add color to it, then then their clear coat will work very well to protect it. Um, if you're just spraying it directly on wood, it may require maybe some kind of a like a wood conditioner or wood treatment, or certainly it would require several, several coatings. You know, wood's very porous and it'll, it'll soak it right in the first couple times you spray it. So, so this is a clear, flat interior, exterior Krylon. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I think I got this for painted rocks, I think is when I bought that. Um, nice. And this uh, is fast drying for wood, metal, plastic, and more. I don't know. I, well, it's not water-based. Um, and then there's also a lacquer that I've used a few times. Yep. To spray stuff. But like you said, you got to use the water-based and the and the oil-based with each other. Unless you've had a long, long time for it to dry and cure in between. But it's still not recommended. Yeah, and you have to be careful. Some of those, some of those are very brittle. They they dry, they dry extremely hard. Um, so as the wood contracts and shrinks in the weather, it will, it will crack. Um, so it's one of the reasons I like the, the flex seal in, um, that it, it can withstand the, the movement of the wood. But, uh, Diana is asking if it works good on wood and yes, you can spray wood with, um, with the clear Krylon. It's available at Lowe's Home Depot, wherever you can buy rattle can paint, you should be able to buy that clear coat. Yeah. It's just a matter of spraying several coats so that the wood is fully absorbed and all the pores are filled in and then, um, and it'll be definitely, it'll be protected. So what do you use to fill in your holes? Are you talking about like putting screw holes or covering them up or nail holes? 
Um, so if, if you have holes, like if you, if you build something with nails, um, and you, and you recess your nails a little bit, um, a, a clear caulk works really good because it's flexible. Um, if you use a putty or a wood filler, that tends to be a little bit more brittle. And, um, so I like anytime I can use a caulk product that's flexible, I try to use a good silicone based caulk. Yeah. A, a, a siding and a window door type of caulk is the most right. is usually real right. flexible, real durable. Exterior. Yep. I wouldn't recommend doing any kind of sink type of silicone, sink or bath type mold resistant silicone because paint typically mm -hmm. won't stick to it. So you're going to want to make sure if you're going to paint it, it's a paintable caulk. Correct. Cool. Um, and you know, I'm not, I don't know if I've ever painted any of my caches like that, any wood ones. I'm going to have yep. to try that sometime to come up here. I know we've had Rick uh, from Colorado on a few times, and he makes these birdhouses that are amazing, like cabins and all kinds of stuff. They're oh, pretty sure. cool. Sure. You could get pretty artistic and paint them up really nice. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things I was going to mention. It, one, one idea, maybe somebody can grab this idea and, and take off with it. But we have a, one of our escape room puzzles. It's, um, it's a wall that has graffiti on it. It looks like, like if you were at a, a you know a train station and it was all grubby and, and grungy inside, maybe abandoned. It just has a series of different graffiti on the wall, and then hidden in that graffiti is uh, is a set of numbers that would lead you to, you know, opening a lock or or a, a series that you would push the buttons in. So that would be maybe kind of a cool thing if you wanted to paint your cache. That in the in the in the outside format of whatever you paint, you could get pretty creative and hide hide numbers in your painting. That's cool. That, that would be cool. Um, I might have to think about that sometime. Doing that on the show, if no one else wants to do it, if someone wants to do it and come on the show and show us how they did it, or want yeah. to show everybody else, that'd be great too. Um, I wish I had a picture that was ready. Um, the, the, the escape room that I was talking about has, it's, it's four numbers that you find in a, um, in some wall graffiti art. And it was designed to look like, you know, maybe over time, four different artists, you know, maybe the first artist did his graffiti art on the wall and someone kind of sprayed over it. So it's kind of a layered picture of, of graffiti. And, um, so someone on here, maybe I don't know, Chad. Did you do? Did you do the uh, the train station cache or uh, escape room? No, I was going to do it last year, and I got sick. Yep, that's where I got that's a migraine and couldn't do it. That's where the graffiti art is. Oh, well, that'd have been good. That has two different scenarios, right? Yeah. So, so that that escape room, um, once you got into the second space, you could choose to either be a good guy or a bad guy. Either either join with the evil forces or join to fight against them. And from that point forward, it was a completely different escape room, different puzzles, different storyline and everything. So that was pretty cutting technology to have to get two games out of one space. Yeah. Um, one thing to say here, too, that just came to mind about when you're building your cache and, and thinking about what you're going to put in your cache. Um, if you're in a hot area and you're 3D printing parts to go in it, you want to make sure you're using uh, P 
PETG or an ABS uh, if you have a good ventilation yep. um, because PLA uh, and PLA plus will melt uh, in the heat. Absolutely. So I've ruined a few caches sitting in my car for a day in my, in my, in my driveway. Cause I was being too lazy to take it out after an event and went to go open it or, or actually open the cache up or do the, the puzzle. And it's all melted That's together. Deformed. Yep. Yeah. Deformed. Yep. That's crazy. <clears throat> so yeah, I've got, I've got tons of ideas, Chad, of, of things that when I get time, you know, time is always that magical element of some caches that I would love to um, love to build with some simple mechanisms, some simple, simple solutions. I mean, they're difficult to solve, but they're the mechanism in the cache is simple. Yeah. Um, gravity. Well, you... Oh, good. Gravity. Gravity is a fun thing to work with. Um, maybe, maybe the lock inside of the door is a pin that moves where you have to turn the cache to a different direction. Maybe that cache is on a rotating base and, and rotating that cache upside down might release a lock. Um, it's an idea to think about. Um, maybe it's a centrifugal force type lock. Um, many of you guys have seen the, the little boxes to open it. you got to spin it. And the centrifugal force makes the pins go out to release the lock. So none of those things require batteries. That's the cool thing. Yeah. I think Derek actually did a, a birdhouse where you flip it upside down and it opens up. Nice. If I remember right. I think I saw that on his channel. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, that'd be cool. Yeah, if you make any of those coming on, come on in. The, the one where you spin it, I think the box where you spin it and use the force to open it. Um, that would be cool. The only issue that I would think of is you need to have a place to spin that somewhere around there. Maybe you don't want, cause you typically put it on a table, right? And spin it. Yeah. It has to be a flat surface. Yeah. Something flat. Mm -hmm. So maybe have a flat top to your birdhouse or something that you, they could spin it on or a shelf inside. Yeah, I mean, something like that with a centrifugal lock, I think that it would need to be a secondary box that you maybe find in the birdhouse cache. Um, you know, again, if people are going to be able to take it out and hold it, um, they're going to drop it. They're going to, you know, bounce it in, in their efforts to open it. They're going to try different things, shaking it, bouncing it, banging on it. So it needs to be a separate a separate box that, that you have that... Uh, you know, that little centrifugal mechanism. So it looks Sorry. like people have caches out that are, that you turn upside down to unlock it. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I'm just reading anything here coming up. I'm not a fast reader, so. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. And you know, one thing that I've seen a lot of caches on, and, and this is why I haven't used this product on the podcast, is just a gate latch for a mechanism. You could use a balloon to open it, to, to hit the lever on it to open it. Um, yep. you, I've seen people use a straw or a stick you got to put in to open it. There's all kinds of things, or pull a string, anything like that. So yep. when you're talking about a, a mechanism, that's a really popular one to use and not very expensive, typically. That's right. Just a little push latch that happens from the inside. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, a, a stick. You can have a whole bunch of holes in your cache, but only one of them is access to the right, right spot. Um, 
you, you've got the the ones where you're trying to fish out a, a key or a um, you know film canister where there's multiple holes in a tube where you fish it up with with chopsticks or something like that. That could be a cool element to have on the side of your cache to access another stage. Um, just any anything that would that would be a physical moving mechanism. Uh, I just like it because it doesn't you don't have to maintain it as much. Like the batteries don't wear out, the light bulbs don't wear out. It's going to be a lot, a lot more likely to last a long time. And they're super fun because they're they're tactile. You got to feel them, touch them, move them, and a lot of people enjoy that. Yes, and that's what um, on this one, this latch, twelve volt latch. When you're talking about one with a bunch of holes and you put in a stick or something, originally on this, what I was going to do with one of these, and I mentioned it on the show and just just never got to it. Um, is this, if you don't have any power, if you push in on this latch here, it will actually pop the door open. I yep. don't have the latch to go into it. Um, somewhere, I don't know where it is. But anyway, um, so if you could line this up somewhere to where you would actually poke right on it with a stick, so you could do tubes, you could even 3D print or drill in some wood to make it really simple. As long as they touch that, it would, it would unlatch and open a door. And that would be, and the door would pop open, go flying open. Yep. So, and adding that kind of element where the door actually pops open like that on a non-electronic cache is actually pretty cool. And I don't think that this would go bad even if it got wet. I mean, it would have to rust. It'd be a while. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Put, put a, like a little bit of an internal spring that would give that door some pop. Yeah, well, this does it automatically. It's got a spring in it. It has a spring. It's spring-loaded, and it, it nice. pops open. Um Pops open on its own. I mean, it, it goes flying open. That's what I use on. I've changed that to all my caches. So very cool. And it's fun watching people jump sometimes in the cameras when the door pops open. Yeah. So it looks like uh, GCD SK11. He said he's getting some really good ideas tonight. Um, what what's what's your top? What's your favorite idea? Just let us let us know what what you what you've got from tonight, the show tonight. Maybe that you'll try next. Oh, I'd love to hear about it. Yes, absolutely. And if anybody else has ideas, let us know. Uh, bring it up. We have uh, about 10 minutes left here to ask Shannon any questions you want. I mean, he's the master, you know, escape yeah. room builder here. So, you know, it'd be be uh, wise to take advantage of his brain while you can. Yeah, I just think it's cool that, that the same concepts can go from one hobby or one one game to another. You know, the same ideas and the same really cool things that we use to build great escape rooms um, can be used to build great and fun gadget caches as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to bring up here, um, since we only have 10 minutes left uh, or nine minutes, um, if you subscribe to Make Magazine or if you don't, um, this month uh, you have Chad Tricasius and myself in the magazine. Um, and I think it's the first geocaching uh, edition of the of Make Magazine, the first time geocaching has been put in there. So if you have a chance and you want to take a look at some cool caches, uh, I would either subscribe or go find a, a bookstore and, and pick up that magazine. Cool. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah, so also the uh, GCDSK11 said uh, the power of latch, Chad was just showing, never thought of using it without power. 
it's something years ago that I talked about doing on the show uh, and just never got to it. So maybe I need to put that on my list to get to here. Yeah. It's just, I'm sure that that's a, it's a, it's a bypass mechanism where if you lose power or the battery dies, you can still open whatever it is whenever it's used in a, in a, a situation, you know, wherever it was designed to be used. Um, but yeah, to have just to use it as a mechanical latch, I think is a really cool idea. Yeah. Really cool. Um, some stuff here. Uh, Scooby loves poo says the spinning cash and using paint to hide the numbers. I have an idea for a variant of that using red lenses. That'd be cool. If you make it, uh, post some pictures of it. Um, you can send them to gadget talk podcast at gmail.com. If you want us to talk about it, or you can come on. Yep, uh, for a whole show, whole show, or a part of a show, and just talk about it and show it off if you want. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, uh, the red lens would be cool. You just have a, uh, it would just look like a, a, a whole bunch of stuff that's, you know, not usable or just confusing. And with the right colored lens, um, you could see what what you needed to see to solve it. That would be really cool. Yeah, one thing that I've wanted to do for a while, and I've mentioned it, is use polarized lenses to be able to see a puzzle. Ah, uh, that's I've done cool. a few caches like that where you got to use a polarized lens. That's really cool. Um, ch oops. Chad says that rotary latches are a nice latch also. They come in different direction actions to trip them. That'd be cool. Um, Chad, if you think about it, maybe you can come on and show us those or show the listeners one of those um and scooby loves poo said that they will work on the uh work on that let us the know spinning one yeah let us know uh and then uh the, the name of the magazine is make magazine m-a-k-e um and uh i believe it's the august i haven't received my copies of it yet but i know chad has so he might know off top of his head i don't know what the i looked for it the whole time i was in vegas couldn't find it at any airports or anywhere, so Man. Uh, I don't know what the cover even looks like. Not on the bestseller list. <laughs> small. It's a small, small magazine. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's it's fun. It's really cool. So one um one one thing I was going to mention, talking about kind of basic mechanisms, that if if you use if you use uh, magnet switches, um, to do some sort of a of a rotating you know, where you've got a column of multiple rotating items and then those have to be, you know, maybe each side of the rotating piece has a lot of different faces on it. Um, so it's kind of like an encrypted message. And if you, if you, if you rotate each piece in the proper spot then your magnets that are inside of that could line up um, to, to either trigger some lights or open a latch or do something. But, but that would be kind of a really cool, simple puzzle once once you figure out the first stage and maybe open the door of your birdhouse to have that rotating column inside of there that would um it would just be another cool puzzle to have inside of your cache yeah that'd be cool i like that i like i like so most of my caches are more than one stage and yep. so i like that i like having a puzzle to get into the cache and then once you're in there's another puzzle to actually get to the logbook yeah that's really cool and then it also keeps the way to get in the key or the code or whatever hidden from just your normal person. Yep. Yep. So it's always fun for that, that, um, that surprise, you know, someone works really, really hard and they think they figure it out and they, and they open up a lock and get the door open. It's like, Oh man, it's not, there's something else. 
So it's always, it's always fun to get those reactions and, um, it just makes the cash. I think that much more interesting for sure. Yeah. I have, uh, one where it took them about 45 minutes to get into the box just to find the, do the outside puzzle. Once they got in, there's another puzzle that takes forever. So I think the longest I've had was an hour and 45 minutes on that cash. Oh, man. Um, and people will sit there and do it. And one, once I had a guy who went back to his car three, he shut it up, went back to his car and you can see him in his car in the parking garage. He yep. sat there for a couple minutes, went back, tried it again. Yeah. Shut it back up, went back to his car. Oh my goodness. So he, I think he was like, I'm done. And then he got back to his car. He's like, I got to complete that. I got, I got to get it done and went back. Yep. So new idea or something else. Yep. That's yeah, awesome. exactly. Probably had to go back and sit down and think about it. That's right. He was on Google and trying to figure it out. <laughs> you couldn't watch him. Uh, TikTok, there's someone on TikTok that actually has given the whole thing away. Oh, man. And I asked him to take it down. I don't think he has, but uh, oh, hopefully no one follows him. Yeah. Yeah, man, I've got I've got so many ideas. You know, you, you figure every escape room has has 10, 15, 20 puzzles in it. Um, while while I was at that company, we built we built a lot of escape rooms. And and so out of the out of the 10 or 15 puzzles that make it into the game. There's probably another 50 puzzles that we brainstorm and we decide they're not, they're not good enough for that game. So I've got, I've got a, a notebook that have, that has dozens and dozens, possibly over a hundred different um, puzzles. So, so that's think, like Chad's notebook. We all need to get access to that, right? I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that would be considered beans and I'm not going to spill them. <laughs> that's cool. I have a, a couple of drawers here with notebooks with ideas, but yeah, um, nothing, nothing spectacular that I need to. Ever, no one ever wants to see. Yeah, so lots of lots of little ideas. Every time I have one, I write it down, and then maybe someday I'll make something of it. Yeah, that's that's cool. You know, one one idea, and I hope I can explain it verbally. It was um, when when you open up a box, it reveals four uh, cubes, and the cubes rotate. So each cube has four faces that you see. And so the, there's a button in front of the cubes. And when you press it, it plays an audio clue really, really fast. And you have to match the audio clue with what's on the face of each block. And that puts the blocks in the right position. There's magnet switches in the in the blocks. And it puts the blocks in each, each right position to solve the code. So, for example, on one of the blocks, um, it was... Uh, it was just Morse code. So on part of the audio clue, it, it played the Morse code, you know, beep, 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 beep. So you had to read, you had to read the face of that block to match the audio clue. And so that, that's how you got the face to the right, the block to the right position. Oh, that's cool. So, but in the audio clue played, you know, there were four blocks. So there were four audio clues and it just, and it just played, it played the first clue, the second clue, the third clue, and then the fourth clue, and it would stop. You had to press the button again to replay the loop. So each time you had to, you know, if you got one of them wrong, you had to listen to all of the audio clues again. So That's it made, cool. It made it fun. So you know what? You'd have to have some kind of a sound card or something uh, that could record that track and then be, be able to, soon, every time you hit the button, it would have to play the track over and over again. Uh, maybe one of those little sound modules would do that. And um, so that was a really fun, that was a really fun puzzle. 
you know, there, there was one that I've heard about. I haven't found, but I also wanted to do one, although I'm not an actor. So I need to find some people that can to, to read it is actually a book you have to listen to. So it's like a book on tape, a CD you download or wow. MP3 file. And it's like a half hour long and you got to listen to the story and then you have to answer the questions to get in to finish the cash from the story. Oh, wow. I've wanted to do one of those for a while. I've always it's thought that involved. was pretty cool. Yeah, that would be cool. So Chad here mentioned that my drawers were locked when he was here. <laughs> so was his box when he came. So he wow. had his box of ideas in a lock box. But if Chad, if you ever come here again, I'll be more than happy to open for you. I'm sure your ideas are way better than mine. That's really cool. So, so, so Chad, if you if you have the space, um, this is kind of loosely based off the idea we were going to build the world's smallest escape room. Um, it was about the size of a phone booth, and inside of that phone booth was was ten escape room puzzles. And so you went in, and uh, and it had a plexiglass door that would lock behind you, and then you had to solve the the ten puzzles inside to get out of the box. So if you have if you have some real estate and if you had enough space to build um, a giant geocache like the size of a phone booth and it had multiple puzzles inside and you had to get inside the box and go through each of the puzzles in a certain time limit and then that would open up a log to sign um, that would be a pretty large undertaking but it sounds like a fun project that'd be fun so I actually have wanted to build a 10 by 10 shed for a cache yeah that's like an escape room. Um, right actually outside my house here. Um, I'm having the issue with having people come to my house to find a cache. I would, I would. Um, so, but I also would want them to schedule it. And I, I have heard you cannot have, you cannot schedule to find a geocache. It has to be open. You can have certain hours that they can find it, but it can't sure. be, you can't call to schedule it, which makes it tough and that's why i've never done it but i would love yep. to do an escape room type cash yeah that would be that would be super cool even if it were uh you know in your area you have a lot of events that are that are close to you even if it were something that you could travel on a little trailer or something and just use it as an event an event cash or a birthday party cash or whatever um that was sort of our idea it was going to be it was going to be something in the in the waiting room that it was a it was a fifteen minute or a ten minute cash a ten minute escape room, and so while people were waiting for their room, they could play the little the little world's smallest escape room. That's fun. I thought about doing one. I used to have a a trailer um, six by twelve trailer, and I thought about doing a geocache in there like an escape room. Mm -hmm. But then once you go to the first event around here, usually it's the same people that visit them. Then it's kind of like, okay, I built all this, and now when am I ever going to use it again, right? So in order to refresh, you got to rebuild it. It's a lot of money. So uh, I've never done it, and I actually don't have the trailer anymore anyway. But uh, someday I have lots of ideas, just need to to do them. But I'd love to do the one um, on the side of my house where I have a spot for it. I just don't know if I want people to come over. Yeah. Well, um, hey, one that. last thing before we go, we're just about out of time. Is Pizza Ninja just talked about building a pizza box gadget cache? And um, I think that that would be super cool, even if it were a, a micro form of a pizza box inside of an ammo can. And all of the pizza slices were, were very, very, very similar. And um, 
but there was little magnet switches in different places on those. So you couldn't interchange them and you had to put the pizza slices in the correct order in the circle. You had to build the pizza. That would be a super fun puzzle piece cache to do. And it wouldn't be that difficult to make. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Uh, uh, see BNJ Bish Jen. I can't say it right. Yeah. Uh, our DIY escape room event is on Saturday, 819. Um, GCAB 200. That's actually a cool cash code, event code. Uh, the beta test went great today. Should have 15 people ish attending. Super stoked. That'd be cool. That would be a great event to go to. Um, what city is that in? That's uh, in Florida somewhere. Are they in Florida? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty far. I'll be in Florida next month, but not this month. Um, I think it's been a great show, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Um, And would love to have you back to show off some of your uh, other caches. So, yeah, they said it's in Orlando. Yeah. So at some point when you get some stuff built, I'd love to have you come back on and, and show everybody. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And again, if you're listening to the podcast without watching it, YouTube or Facebook watching it, it's more of a video podcast than a listening one. Um, I would always recommend that. You always come back later on and listen or watch it if you only have time to listen to it at first. But um, sure. yeah, send us any caches that you may have that you want to show on the show. If you have any ideas you want to come on and show uh, everybody, let us know. Send us an email at gadgettalkpodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, any uh, any last things you want to say? No, man. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. It. Um, we wish uh, we wish Derek all the best in his in his um, family troubles. And um, and uh, he's he'll be back, I'm sure, in the weeks to come and and fill in. Uh, I was glad to to come on and share some ideas and uh, and to help get through this this show. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon, I hope. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, we'll, we should be back, I believe, and Gary might be able to count on this, I believe, in two weeks. Two weeks? Awesome. Is yeah. that, is two weeks. We'll be back. So, um, yeah, we will uh, see everybody in two weeks on the show. 27th. Yep. Awesome. All right. All right. Great. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Thanks everybody. See you guys. Great All time, right. Bye-bye.